Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank You for Your mercies toward us. Indeed, indeed, they are new every morning. Great is Your faithfulness. We ask Your forgiveness for our lack of faithfulness. We thank You that You love us and You do not stop loving us. In ourselves, You would have every right to do so. But You're faithful to Your promise and to Your Word. And we thank You. We ask our God that You would bless us as we continue in this worship. That the things that are said would be honoring and pleasing unto You. We don't want it to be just mere rote. And yet, we know that Your Word does find lodging in the hearts of Your people because the work is of You and not of us. And we ask these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We basically were looking at first uh, uh, 24 when we left off. And uh, I'm going to read the 25 through 29 through the end. The Lord willing, we'll finish up this chapter this afternoon. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus, and if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Again, we see uh, that before faith is come, that here again the word faith is used to designate this economy of the New Testament. It's not talking about before uh, we were born again. But it's talking about this Old Testament versus New Testament. The schoolmaster was in the Old Testament. We're now in the New Testament. The law was under the Old Testament. Grace is under the New Testament. And, and so on and so forth. And when we get further down into chapter 4, we'll see Paul uses uh, this same uh, teaching tool and by using an allegory showing the difference between the bond woman and the free woman, Hagar and Sarah, Mount Sinai and Jerusalem, and showing the contrast of the two. <clears throat> and now we are under the standard of under the standard of law of faith, since we're under this principle of faith, we no longer need the law to manifest Christ. The gospel manifests Christ. And though there were types and shadows of Christ in the law to direct us uh, to Him and the economy of faith, the law is a vain thing in comparison to the reality. 
Why do people want to cherish the type when we have the antitype? Why is it people want to have the picture when we have the real thing? And so we don't need to go back into all of that. We need to uh, preach Christ in other words. We are under the new covenant and not under the old. Uh, looking Hebrews chapter 8. Where we see this quite clearly. Hebrews chapter 8. Well, I'm just going to read the whole chapter. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the Son. We have such an high priest who is set on, who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Moses, the man, pitched the Old Testament tabernacle. We have a new tabernacle that our Lord pitched. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. That is Christ. For if he were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern Shown thee, showed thee in the mount. In other words, the tabernacle, uh, God showed it to him, all the details of it, and had the pattern, the blueprint was given to Moses uh, when he was in the mount, and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't drawn out on a sheet of paper. It was in Moses' mind. And then God had... Uh, Bezalel and Ahalibab, I believe their names, to make the different things. <clears throat> Verse 6, But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, not with the covenant, but with the people, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. And I want to pause here and, and remind you that what we saw last Lord's Day and before that if you have faith, then you are a child of Abraham. And all of the covenant promises that were given to the Jews who were the people of God, not that every Jew was, but those who had faith, as Paul pointed out in Romans 9, all of those promises are also applicable to Gentile believers. And so this, even though it was given to the house of Israel and the house of Judah, uh, it is applicable to us Gentiles who are believers. Not according to the covenant that I made with their father, fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they continue not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this 
is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousnesses, their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more, in that he saith, A new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. So we we no longer have that old covenant. We no longer have that Old Testament law system. We have the New Testament covenant of grace that was given us in Christ Jesus even before the world was. Now, Paul goes on in Galatians and he says that even though that faith has come, we're no longer under the covenant I mean, excuse me, no longer under the schoolmaster because we are all children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That is, we are children of God by the person and work of Christ. And then he shows, goes into how it is that we manifest that we are in the covenant. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Our faith and obedience in baptism are are strong evidences that we are the children of God. In the New Testament, every believer except one was baptized. Well, I might say two. John the Baptist, first of all, he wasn't, but he was ordained to be the one to institute baptism. And the other one was the thief on the cross. The only reason he couldn't, uh, wasn't baptized is because he was providentially hindered. But other than that, when an individual professed to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, they were baptized. There was no place really given we might say from Pentecost on especially, there was no place given and nothing said about an unbaptized believer. There was a eunuch, evidently a Jew, that had been captured by uh, the nation of Ethiopia in battle. We would assume that. Uh, We don't know how he became a eunuch to the queen of Candace of Ethiopia. But we know he was a Jew. How do we know that? Because he had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. And he was such a faithful servant that the queen let him go. She wasn't worried about him Uh, running away after he got out of town. She wasn't worried about him not coming back to his servitude and his slavery. But as he was going on the way, he was reading in the book of Isaiah. You'll find all of this in the book of Acts in the ninth chapter, I believe. He was riding along in in his chariot He's reading the book of Isaiah. 
And God sent Philip, the deacon Philip, sent Philip, the evangelist, down to this uh, Ethiopian. And Philip asked him, said, you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I accept some man guide me? And we know from the context there, like I said, he was reading in Isaiah 53. And what did it say? Philip preached unto him Jesus. We know we have scriptural divine inspiration that tells us that Isaiah 53 was talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's quite obvious without the scripture uh, saying so. But when Philip got through preaching to this Ethiopian eunuch, you remember what the eunuch said? What hindereth me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with thy heart, all thy heart thou mayest. And he baptized him. But the point that I'm making is this. This eunuch, the first time he heard the gospel preached, requested baptism. And when the gospel is preached, baptism is preached. It wasn't that Philip just preached about the eunuch, I mean, excuse me, the, the Philip just preached about Jesus to the eunuch, and then the eunuch came up with this idea of baptism. Philip preached to him baptism. The Philippian jailer was baptized that night. And on and on, Lydia and her household and, and so on. And you see, but my point is this, New Testament believers were baptized. There's not this idea of a person being a Christian not being baptized. This is how we show that we are trusting in the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And while baptism itself does not save, it is connected and evidential of baptism. I mean, of salvation, excuse me. Look at Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16. We had a family that used to attend here many years ago. And they liked to uh, identify themselves with various congregations at various times, but uh, they never would uh, submit to baptism. I think the parents had many years ago, maybe when they were children or something, but uh, from my Recollection even to this day, I don't know that their children have been baptized and their children are adults. But I preached a series of sermons on baptism and that's basically when they quit attending. I stress the importance that if you're a believer, you're to be baptized. Well, they didn't. They didn't like that. But in... Mark chapter 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Notice that believing and baptize, believing and baptizing go together. 
And the implication is, those that are not baptized, they're not believers. Because they that believe not shall be damned. Now, baptism doesn't save. The person and work of Christ is what saves. The baptism is an evidence of salvation. And as we read in the Hebrews chapter 8, it plainly said that in the new covenant, you would not have to teach people to obey, but God would write His law in their mind and in their heart, and He would teach them to obey the covenant. And while baptism does not justify, yet at the same time, baptism does testify that God is just. I didn't have this written down, but uh, turn with me to, I believe it's Luke uh, chapter 7. Yes. Luke chapter 7, verses 29 and 30. And all the people that heard him, that is, heard John, and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of Him. Baptism does not justify man Baptism justifies God. Now, that ought to tell you a lot of things about that. That to justify somebody doesn't make them just. By those people baptizing, being baptized by John, they didn't make God just. God was just already. God's always been just. In other words, when people are scripturally baptized, that is, immersed and have faith, they must have faith. When they are scripturally baptized, they are justifying God and they are declaring that God is right and that they need a Savior. And if people re- do not obey the Gospel and reject the counsel of God, in other words, the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God. How did they reject the counsel of God? They were not baptized of John. And when people hear the gospel and refuse to be baptized, they are rejecting God and God's counsel. Baptism doesn't save in and of itself. Baptism is a picture of salvation. Peter tells us that in his epistle. But these Galatians who had heard the gospel and believed the gospel, and to prove that they had believed the gospel, they were baptized. And by being baptized, they put on Christ. By the way, there in Luke chapter 7, where it says, that they rejected the counsel of God against themselves. The word reject there is translated also despise. 
disannul, frustrate. Baptism is a very serious thing. And while it does not justify you by not being baptized it's pretty evident that one is not the Lord's. He that believeth not shall be damned. It doesn't say he that is baptized not shall be damned. But it goes along with the text. But however you want to look at that, at least we can say this. Refusal to submit to baptism is a dangerous thing. Refusal to submit to baptism is no light thing. I said and mentioned this. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. I want to make this point. That baptism in itself does not save. It is a picture of salvation. First Peter one, uh, excuse me, First Peter three twenty one. I think I said one. First Peter three twenty one. The like figure. In verse twenty, uh, Peter been talking about Noah and the ark. That was a picture of something. And it says in verse 21, the like figure, whereunto even baptism doth now save us. I'm going to skip the parenthetical expression. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now the parenthetical expression, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. Baptism doesn't put away sin, nor does it put away just dirt on you. It doesn't put away the filth of the flesh, whatever however you want to run that. It is an answer of a good conscience. It's the answer of a conscience that has been made good by regeneration because one is under the blood of Christ. But it says baptism is a figure. That word figure is a picture. And when Jesus told John to baptize him, he said, Suffer it to be so, for it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Well, Jesus didn't fulfill all righteousness in being baptized. He fulfilled it in a picture. It was a picture of Him fulfilling righteousness. In other words, His death, His burial, His resurrection. So we need to be clear about baptism. We need to defend the faith. We need to maintain the faith of what baptism is. It is a picture of immersion. And one must be born again. That is, he must have faith prior to his conversion. To sprinkle, pour, or even immerse little infant children that can have no faith and do not manifest any faith is not baptism. Cannot be. Violation of Scripture. Baptism is putting on Christ in a public way. Just like when a woman marries her husband 
marries a man and he becomes her husband, she takes on his name. She's part of that family. Well, when we are baptized, we take on the name of Christ. We become identified with Him. He is our all in all. And we must never forget that. And so Paul encourages them that they have been baptized, they have put on Christ, they have manifested that they have been justified by the faith in the person and work of Christ, that is. And then he talks about their equality. Their equality in Christ. Verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, let me be clear. Well, people like to say that today. Let me be clear. Well, let me be clear. The equality that he's talking about here is not political equality of this day. Obviously, when he says here in verse 28, he is not talking about or teaching that there are no such authorities and there are not different ranks in society. If that were, if that were true, then the policeman would not have the right to give me a ticket because I'd be equal to the policeman. The governor would not have the right to tell me what to do because I'd be equal with the governor. In other words, if everybody was equal in society, then everybody, nobody would have any right to rule over another. And that's what this modern society is pushing for. Egalitarianism. No police, no sheriffs, no authority over me. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. If I want to go into a store and take a hammer and break their cases open and walk out with their jewelry or their clothes or their television sets or their electronic gizmo, I have the right to do so. I'm just equal with them. They don't have any right to have what I don't have. I have every right to have what they have. That is, that is anarchy. That's not what's being taught here. That's not what's being taught here. What is being taught here is that in Christ Jesus... If a person is a believer, he is on the same footing. He stands in Christ. He stands before God in Christ. I'm, I'm a pastor here. I have certain leadership responsibilities. You as the congregation have a responsibility to obey the leader as long as the leader is teaching according to the Scriptures. Now I'm not going to get off into all of that, but we're going to look at it to some degree. But when it comes to being accepted by God, I'm accepted just like you are in Christ. God doesn't accept a Jew before He does a Gentile. He doesn't accept a man before He accepts a woman. 
He doesn't accept an adult before he accepts a, a child. He accepts them all in Christ. That's what he's talking about there. But it is obvious according to the same scriptures that there are civil powers over population. Romans 13. And there's, there's a lot that needs to be explained in reading these verses, but we do not have time to do so today. I'm just showing that there are authorities over us. And let me say this, they don't have the right to do whatever they want to do. They only have the right to do what is right. Romans 13, 1, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. You know the reason we have wicked rulers over us? Because God put them there. To judge us. Because we as a nation deserve to be judged. Daniel 4 would make that plain that he sets the basis of men in authority. He, God, does that. Daniel 4 and Daniel 5, those two chapters make that plain. But the, we have to have authority over us, even a, an authority of tyrants. Over us is better than no authority at all. I had rather have a tyrant over me that holds some people in check than to have total anarchy where everybody could run over me anytime they wanted to. And I'm not advocating uh, a, a tyrant. But I would have no problem with a benevolent dictator either. I have a benevolent dictator over me. The Lord Jesus Christ. And there have been good government by men in society at various times. Even wicked Nero, when he first became on the throne was a good was a good emperor. But he wound up being a tyrant. But anyway. Therefore, whosoever resisteth the power, if you resist the power, just for the sake of resisting power, you're resisting the ordinance of God. When these people go into your cities and riot against the police, they are going against God. Whether they know it or not, they're going against God and they're going to answer to God someday. The sad part about it, the, the teeth have been taken out of the police and most of them just stand back and watch and let everything go on. But that's not what God ordained. Now what I'm showing is that what uh, Galatians chapter 3 when it talks about the equality there a male, female, man, Jew, Gentile, so on it's not denying authority. Well I need to Keep reading or I'll go too long. Verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resists the ordinance of God and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation, judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works. Godly rulers are not a terror to good works. But to the evil. Will thou then not be afraid of the power? 
Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, if you do wrong, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. Why does he have the sword? To spank you? No, to exercise discipline. If need be, kill you. We don't have swords today. Our authorities have guns. If you do that which is evil, you ought to be shot. If you're not going to submit to the authority, if you're going to attack the authority, if you're going to try to kill the authority, the authority ought to kill you. That's what God says. That's what God says. You say, well, I I just don't like that. It doesn't matter whether you like it or not. That's what God says. I've had people tell me a lot of things they don't like about God. You're either afraid of God. If you're afraid of God, you're afraid of His Word. If you don't have no any love or respect for God, then you then you, you hate his word. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore you must needs be subject. Not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. The Christian wants to obey God, or obey the laws of the land because of his conscience. For for this cause pay ye tribute also to them, uh, also for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Render therefore to all their dues tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. If that's not enough, look at 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll just read this one other place to show that there are powers that are to rule over us. 1 Peter chapter 2. Beginning of verse 13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Well, if it's, if it's a good ordinance, I'll submit to it. That's not what it says. I don't think the government has the right to make a law and to punish people if they do not wear a seatbelt. Seat, a, a seat Do seatbelts save lives? I believe they do. Sometimes seatbelts cost a person their life. My point is, I don't think the government ought to make uh, to go that far with their laws. But our nation has. And when I get in the car, I put my seatbelt on. When they first did it, I had a rebellious streak about me. But in studying God's Word, I realized the problem was me, not them. In that. Now I think the problem is them. (laughs) But anyway, you get my point. You see, if I go down the street without a seatbelt on and the policeman pulls me over and he says, are you a Christian? I'm not obeying for conscience sake. And if I see the policeman coming and I quickly grab my seatbelt and put it on, then I've only put it on for wrath's sake, not for conscience sake. Which is contrary to Romans 13. We must become all things to all men that we might gain some. And I know there comes a time when we must obey God rather than man. But that's not the ground 
That's not the hill to stand on. Verse 13 again. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. For the Lord's sake. Not yours. Not whether you like it or not. Because God said so. Whether it be to the kings as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the kings. Servants, slaves, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good ones and gentle, but also to the forward. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults, ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. See, even down to servants that are to obey their masters. I hear just about every time, well, I, don't, I hear it a lot. Even today, when we don't even have slavery in this country, that's what most people think of slavery. We still have slavery. We have more people enslaved to the government than there ever was in the 1800s. But people talk about slavery, 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 slavery. And all they're doing is continually stirring up turmoil. Stirring up wrath. They don't want to hear what the Bible has to say. Everybody talks about how the Bible says slavery is a sin. Well, I challenge you to find in one place where the Bible says slavery is a sin. Kidnapping is a sin. Slavery is not a sin. Whether we like it or not. And I'm not advocating that we go back to slavery as in the 17 1800s. I'm not advocating that. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Not only here, time is running out, but servants are to be subject and obedient to their masters. 1 Peter 2.18 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Ephesians 6, 5 and 6, Colossians 3, 22 through 25, Titus 2, 9 through 10. And all of those are New Testament passages, not Old Testament. All of those passages says that the servant is to be obedient to his master. Children are to be under the power and authority of their parents. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, Colossians 3, 20. What are you, you say, what are you putting all this in here? I'm showing you that what Paul says in Galatians 3, 28 is not talking about common egalitarianism. There's still authority and rank. Wives are to be submissive to their husbands. Ephesians 5, 22-24, Colossians 3, 18, 1 Peter 3, verses 1-6. through 6. In Christ, in Christ, all believers are one. Galatians 3, 28, which we've read, also Ephesians 4, verses 4-6. through 6.
And then, and we could enlarge upon that, but we will not for time's sake. Verse 29 of Galatians 3, And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. In other words, it matters not who you are or what you do. If you're Christ, you're Abraham's seed. If you live on in high society on Silk Stocking Road, or if you live on the streets and are homeless. You know, there are some homeless people that uh, are put there by the providence of God problem is today we have a hard time separating them out but there are some may even be God's children in there your justification is not based on circumcision or any works or how much you pray how much you fast how many good deeds you do or any other works your justification is based on your identity identity with Abraham. And if you are identified with Abraham, then your heirs according to the promise. Now it's obvious that if you are identified with Abraham, you'll pray. You remember when the Lord sent, told Ananias to go down to straight street and talk to a man named Paul or Saul and then I said I've heard of him what did the Lord say about him behold he prayeth he's a praying man now a child of Abraham is a praying man he's an individual that prays he's an individual that does good deeds he's an individual that strives to obey the scriptures and other works not to base their salvation upon it, but to magnify and to manifest your salvation. Justification, as we've said time and time and time and time again, I'll say it one more time in closing, your justification is simply by the person and work of Christ. Period. That's what it means to be justified by faith, be justified by blood, be justified by grace, be justified by Christ. The person and work of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your salvation. So rich and so free in the full satisfactory work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is in His name we pray. Amen.